Welcome to the Panjiva Daily. We bring you data-driven insights into global trade events and a review of our recent research. I'm Chris Rogers, Panjiva's trade analyst, and here's what's on for June the 19th. Talks among the BRICS countries could lead to an expanded group, but will likely focus more on security than trade, at least at first. Also, we preview the Brexit talks that start today, and our monthly review of smartphones shows growth for Pegatron and rising prices for American consumers. Before we get started, I wanted to give you a heads up that this will be the last week for the podcast in its current format. If you want to keep getting the information covered, you'll be able to get it through the Panjiva Daily. Drop me a line via chris at panjiva.com to let me know. With that out of the way, let's get started with trade policy. Talks between foreign ministers of Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa may set the stage for a BRICS plus group to be formed at a summit in September. This is likely to be a security and geopolitical bloc rather than a trade area. China is already promoting trade via the Belt and Road policy and the RCEP initiatives. Its imports from the other BRICS countries have increased 8% in the past year, led by a 10% increase in imports. Those in turn are dominated by raw materials, a pattern that probably wouldn't change even with a trade deal. Our analysis shows that leading exports include oil from Russia and Brazil, which are around a quarter of the total, and soybeans from Brazil, which is around 15%. Moving on to Europe, the UK government will start Brexit negotiations with the EU, with an agreement to settle the terms of the exit before working on a new trade deal. A precise stance on the trade deal won't become clear until the Queen's speech later in the week. Yet, it's more likely than before to include a deeper trade deal in return for a degree of EU control than there would have been before the elections. The quickest way to reach a deal would be for the UK to join either the European Economic Area or the European Free Trade Area alongside Norway, Switzerland and others. Those countries may not be so willing, though, to accept the UK as its trade with the EU is 1.2 times the size of theirs, making it the dominant member of those groups. On the other side of the pond, the US ITC has ruled that US steel manufacturers were materially injured by steel rebar exports from Turkey and Japan. That allows duties of around a quarter to be applied to Turkish exports. Those in turn fell by two-thirds in April versus March, but could still yet fall further. Complainants including Nucor also gain, as the average import value per tonne has increased by more than 40% from its lower year earlier. That will inevitably increase costs for builders and other users of rebar. That's one of the issues that's going to keep coming up in the 18 active steel cases still being considered by the US government, and there's more likely to follow once the Commerce Department's Section 232 review is completed. Presentations of that to the Congress were delayed from last Friday. Staying with the US, there are three items to watch. First, the revised policy towards Cuba by the Trump administration is limited to cutting links with the military-controlled commercial group, GESA. Indeed, existing commercial relationships with it should still be permitted according to Treasury Department guidance. For ranchers and farmers, there's even less impact. Alimport, which is the single buyer of agricultural produce, is not a part of GESA. US exports to Cuba 
has have grown by nearly two thirds in the past 12 months, our data shows, with a three quarters jump in meat shipments and a 4.7 fold rise in cereals. Further purchases are more likely to be a function of affordability than regulations, therefore. Also on agriculture, a revised sugar suspension agreement between the US and Mexico has been completed after industry participants finally accepted the deal that was signed on June 6. The additional delay is a cautionary lesson for forthcoming NAFTA negotiations, of course. Our data shows that Mexican exporters likely anticipated the deal's completion, with their exports in April rising nearly 50% on a year earlier. The third item on agriculture is that an agreement to permit 200 American dairy producers to export to China has been signed. While that's not part of the original 100-day programme of trade-promoting measures between the two governments, it is a helpful addition alongside a forthcoming Chinese soybean buying delegation. Our data shows that China imported nearly $7 billion of dairy products in the past year, which was 15% higher than a year earlier. Infant formula is the leading product with just under half of that total, while cheese is growing the quickest at around a quarter. The biggest loser could be New Zealand, which has around one third of the Chinese import market in total and may lose out to US competitors. Shifting back across the Pacific on economics and trade policy now, Japan unexpectedly incurred a trade deficit in May after import growth of 18% outstripped economists' expectations. The steel industry is the likely culprit, with imports of iron ore jumping by more than two-thirds. Given that prices increased only modestly, and imported steel products rose by nearly 40%, that would suggest some strength in the domestic economy, and possibly diversions of volumes from other markets that have applied tariff barriers. Japan's exports to the US, meanwhile, increased by just 5%, while imports climbed by nearly twice that level. Those moves may reduce friction with the US as low-key trade talks continue. More important, though, are discussions about new trade deals with China and the EU, which are also in progress and may deliver conclusions by the year-end. Changing gear now to logistics, China's shipyards saw a 12th straight fall in their remaining order books in May, with the resulting 81 million dry-weight tonnes being the lowest since at least December 2011. That's partly due to a loss of market share to South Korean yards. For example, Hyundai Heavy saw a five-fold rise in orders in the first five months of the year. China's yards, meanwhile, saw a 30% drop in orders in the first five months of the year. That likely means that a more than 10% fall in export revenue seen by China in the first four months is likely to continue and may begin to attract government attention and in turn perhaps support for China's shipyards. Finally, our monthly report on what trade data can tell us about the smartphone industry is out today, and here's a quick summary. Chinese mobile phone makers had a strong start to the year, with exports rising 15% in the three months to April 30th. That was led by a more than two-fifths jump in shipments to the US. The largest manufacturer, Foxconn, saw its exports increase by 15%, but Pegatron, the number two, was the fastest growing manufacturer with a 50% rise in its shipments. They didn't have it all their own way in the US market though. Imports from Vietnam, where Samsung Electronics and LG Electronics have factories, increased by more than 15%. 
that may reflect increased production of Samsung's S8 device. Additionally, the value of handsets from Taiwan, where Google's Pixel is produced by HTC, increased by nearly two-thirds in April to $245 per unit. That's it for today. If you'd like to find out more about Panjiva Research, head over to our homepage at panjiva.com. Thank you very much for listening and have a great week. <laughs>